Whether you're a first-time poultry owner or looking to expand your flock, you can always use some helpful advice. Blaine's Farm and Fleet's got you covered. With great info and products to help raise healthy birds in-store or online at farmandfleet.com forward slash chick days. The Tamando Family Farm in northwestern Wisconsin started in 1998 with just 80 acres and 40 cows. Although Joe and Christy had both grown up on dairy farms, they struck out on their own. They made a choice at the time to do things a little differently. While many were building free stalls and bringing cows in from pasture, the Tamando family decided to lean into grazing cows. Since that time, they've not only built their farm up, they've built a blueprint for successful grazing that they've replicated. They've also built a program to help others learn dairy farming on a grazing basis based platform. Their work has led them to be selected as the 2022 Leopold Conservation Award winners. For the Midwest Farm Report, this is Carrie Mess. Joe, share with me the history of your farm and where you are today. Sure. So my wife and I started dairying in 98. Uh, so we just started on a, on a modest 80-acre uh, farm. The barn hadn't even seen cows for about six years. Basically, it was a profile of, of the farm that we were able to afford with the equity that was a small amount of equity that we had built up before then. So we came onto the farm with about 35 cows, 35, 40 cows, and a bunch of used fence, actually. We started grazing cows uh, on this dairy. You know, managed grazing, you know, allowed us to get started with very low investment and a lot of overhead. So that's one reason why it was so appealing to us is we got started in 1998 uh, with these modest facilities. We could take the small amount of equity we had and invest it in the cattle. And if we did a good job with the cows, obviously they would appreciate and you'd have more cows. That's really how we got our toehold into dairying is by utilizing managed grazing in a, in a low overhead model and plenty of sweat equity. But we did also see it from the get-go that this was something that we liked from an environmental type of standpoint too. Is this the kind of dairying that you were used to growing up? I grew up on a managed grazing dairy that got started kind of in the 80s. So I really was able to you know witness firsthand you know just kind of the relationships with the cattle and the soil and the land and the field and, and even the wildlife around it. And a lot of it just kind of worked together, you know, take as much you know, capital and overhead to make it all work, just allowing these systems that were designed to work with each other to work, work with each other. Eventually your farm grew, right? You didn't stay at 80 acres and 40 cows. As the farm grew, uh, we did start building up the herd. We made some infrastructure changes. You know, we added in a parlor. We added on some different housing and, and bedded pack type of housing. And when we hit about 150 cows uh, on the farm, we became a bit more seasonal also, and there's about 320 acres that was grazable. My wife and I were looking at this and saying, okay, now how, how do we invest? How do we keep investing in this farm? And uh, what are the next steps for it? Traditionally, as a dairy person uh, looks at investing in their farm, they say, okay, we're going to add on more cows or we'll double it. That was an option. As we looked at this in 2009, 2010, we could double this farm and, and take 300 cows on this 320 acres, and we could invest in more facilities and infrastructure and manure storage and, and et cetera, et cetera, uh, and dump the cows. You know, that model would have penciled out you know, financially, and we would have had 300 cows on, on the 300 acres. We still would have been pulling grass into them, you know, not as much of a percentage of grass, but we would still be utilizing managed grazing. Uh, but then in all reality, the next age of investment, and these usually happen within the decade, you double it again. So doubling it again on that trajectory 
factory would put us to 600 cows, a lot less grass, a lot more infrastructure that we'd invest in. And then most likely by the end of our career, we'd invest in it, we'd probably double that herd again. And and there we'd be looking at our 1,200 cows. There wouldn't be any grass going into them. A lot of feed would be hauled in. A lot of manure would be would be hauled out. When we're ready to retire, you know, this could be transitioned maybe to the next generation, but that's probably the last generation because you're looking at a lot of investment here and it would have to keep growing. And basically our buyers would be very large ag uh, or, or other larger farms and you'd have to probably sell it lock, stock, and barrel. So we didn't necessarily want to go that pathway because our secret to, you know, profitability or our, you know, our formula for profitability was the amount of dry matter we could get into these cows through grass and really try to reduce these feed costs. So back in 2010, rather than doubling our farm, we decided to duplicate it. And let's put up another system that would work like this, where we could maximize the efficiency and intakes off of our grass uh, and pasture. So that's what we did. We had purchased another farm in 2010 with about 200 acres. And we converted that with conservation plan and, and series of lanes and fencing and water lines. And, and then we put some more infrastructure into it to handle 175 grazing cows. And then in 2020, we had purchased um, a third farm to do the basic same thing. That's kind of our mode of expansion and investing into dairy is duplicating. So some of your thought process on duplicating didn't just have to do with the today, but also the tomorrow, right? Some of the thoughts are we're able to really maximize the grass intake and the efficiencies of grazing. When we retire, we also feel that we have got independent farm units. So maybe we're milking a thousand cows someday. It may just be on five different units or four or five different units. So when it's time to retire, okay, can we can we sell these units independently? Uh, can a family move back into them because they're not overcapitalized and they're able to you know be afforded by by a family or a next generation? Duplicating does have some unique challenges, especially when it comes to labor. But you also saw the opportunity that having multiple farms grazing milk cows offered up. Tell me more about starting the Dairy Grazing Apprenticeship Program. Yeah, you know, really all these systems and and the duplicating system, it is a different labor profile than a single location uh, because, I mean, you're really looking at milking time and just the profile of the day's worth of labor. We're really trying to set these up so you got, well, maybe three hours or so total into milking through the day. So we put in larger parlors, efficient ones, so that you basically have a point person or a family uh, that can run these these farms. But then you maybe don't have as specialized of a labor profile where you've just got some individuals that are working on the cropping end and some individuals that are working on the cow health end and kind of piecing this out. We're almost really looking at these managers that are, you know, versed in a lot of areas on the farm. So it's a little bit more of the cross section of skill sets uh, that a farmer would need to have. So to be able to find those people, that's not something that you can really learn in a classroom. Uh, So we've basically taken a chapter out of the playbook of the guild and looked at and said, you know what, this is really a hands-on learning type of a thing, and let's learn from the people that have been doing this for the years through experiential type of learning and create an apprenticeship type of format out of it. Uh, So this started in 2010. Also, we basically launched uh, in a partnership with the Wisconsin Department of Workforce Development Bureau of Apprenticeship Standards, and through uh, National Institute of Food and Agriculture Beginning Farmer Grant, uh, we launched 
launched this dairy grazing apprenticeship. Uh, and, and surprisingly, at the time, it was the first registered apprenticeship in agriculture in the nation, and it got started here in Wisconsin. But really, that's how we look at you know identifying the next key people and managers you know within these dairies that can just flat grab onto one of these farms and uh, be well versed in all aspects of the dairy, from the pastures to the soils to the crops to the cow health to even the facilities. So the unique way you're farming and the work you did to build out the apprenticeship program has brought you the honor of receiving this year's Leopold Conservation Award. Yeah, so we were just awarded the Leopold Conservation Award, which is uh, for us, it's just a real honor. Uh, it's a very humbling experience to to be just included in people that have nominated for this award, uh, as well as past award winners for basically conservation on private working lands and agricultural lands. Uh, so we were nominated by our Marathon County conservationist who had worked with us on you know through the years and putting the farm together and developing grazing plans and 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 the conservation profile on on the dairies. Uh, so yeah, it's a it's a real you know honor for us uh, to be uh, selected. Uh, amongst this group of other farmers on, you know, recognized conservation. It's a bit of a stamp on the work that you've been doing, right? You know, this award, you, you never do it for the award. Uh, you know, we farm, you know, and, and as most farmers, and I'm not saying that we've got it all figured out, we've got the perfect model, we're always working at it. And as all farmers, we're always, you know, working at our management systems and you're, you're never, we're never done, I guess, in trying to improve. So, it, Yes, it, it is. It's really nice to see it. It's a wonderful thing to, to be acknowledged, I guess. Feels good. <laughs> yeah, it, it feels good. It's a really, yeah, it's very gratifying to be acknowledged by peers, other leaders in agriculture, you know, for the work that we've been doing. But I think a lot of farms uh, need this acknowledgement, too, because, it's, you know, as farmers, you know, we're all working you know, for the environment and and working to improve. But particularly in our farms, as we look at this and uh, and you actually, and actually I dove back into some of uh, Eldo Leopold's <laughs> Sand County Almanac because uh, we received that book and I've, I'm familiar with it. And actually my mom gave it to us uh, probably about 20 years ago. So when you read back through it uh, and you just look at the principles of what he's talking about with the land ethic, uh, it is true. It is something that... You you know, we, as well as a lot of farmers, really try to live in taking into consideration and not managing for just one element of the business and, and, and how the environment fits into it and how everything just kind of fits together. So it's, it's really a holistic type of way to, to look at the management of uh, this ag working lands uh, with the cattle and, and the environment and the soil and the water and, and the people and everything like that. So I think we've realized also that you know, we're far from being done. There's a lot of work that can that can always be built upon. That was Joe Tamandel. He and his wife, Christy, are the 2022 Leopold Conservation Award winners. You can find out more about the Tamandel family and the Leopold Award online at sandcountyfoundation.org. For the Midwest Farm Report, this is Carrie Mess.